We were discussing uh, Shimshan's campaign against the Pishtim. We, were, we read the Psukim. We saw three stages of what he did. The first thing, that in order to fulfill his promise to pay the 30 friends, so to speak, a suit of clothing, uh, he went to Ashna and he killed 30 Pishtim to take their clothing. Thereafter, when he wanted to take revenge on the Pishtim for the fact that his wife had been given away to someone else. He tied the fox's tails together. He put a torch in between each two fox's tails. He let them loose in the fields of the Pishtim and they caused tremendous damage and so they burned everything down. As a result of that, the Pishtim then went and burnt his wife's family down in the fire, as it says. And Shemishan felt he has to take revenge for that as well. And says he killed the Pishtim, Makarabah Moed. Thereafter, the Pishtim went to look for him and uh, HaKadosh Baruch Hu gave him extra strength and he took a jawbone of a donkey and he managed to kill a thousand Pishtim with that like we saw last time and then he praises himself it seems and he has, we saw a very strange pasuk the Shemishan says with the jaw of the donkey I made piles of the corpse of the Pishtim and as a result of that as soon as he throws the lechi from his hands so he, Hashem makes him incredibly thirsty and he feels he's going to die from thirst, and Hashem does an extra nice for him, and he opens up, so to speak, the, a spring of water from within the straw bone, and he manages to drink that, and he survives. So what's this all mean? We saw the, we went through the Pesukim last time, uh, what is the source, what's the significance? So the three things you have to understand about Shemshan's plan. We've spoken about it outside, but now we're going to follow through how this actually gets fulfilled. The first point is, like we saw Shimshon, Badafka wasn't acting in the capacity of fighting on behalf of Klai Yisrael. As you saw, Klai Yisrael weren't on the level to deserve Hashem's protection. And therefore, if the Pishtim would have wanted to take revenge against Klai Yisrael for what Shimshon did to them, Klai Yisrael wouldn't have been able to withstand that. And therefore, everything Shimshon did had to be something which he was doing as an individual. And therefore, the Pishtim wouldn't feel that the Klai Yisrael was the enemy. Collectively, rather Shimshon as the Yafid, we already spoke about before. This was the Nevoah that he understood from Yaakov Avinu, that he was a Nachash Alei Derech. A Nachash, a snake, doesn't attack as part of a herd or part of a pride. Every snake is on his own. And therefore it's the one snake which is the problem. It's not like there's a pack of snakes or a whole group of snakes. So Shimshon understood he had to act as a Yafid, and therefore he had to find an excuse to fight with the Pishtim, which had nothing to do with the Jewish people. But at the same time, Things that happen for nothing. And therefore we're going to see everything that Shimshon does to the Pishtim was also Minnik and Hegid Midah for what they did to the Jews. That we're going to see. There's another incredible point which we're going to deal with and, and that is there's a difference between how most animals attack as you know from the Gemara Babakama and the snake. Most animals, when they're going to attack, they can either use their feet what we call the regal or the shank. They can use their teeth or they can use their, their feet or their arms, whatever animals have. Horns? To, or, or horns, yes, all three. Um, especially a shor, he says the mazik in all three areas. But he has a karen, he has a shank, he has a regal. Things like lions are the kind of horns, but they have a shank and a regal. The snake only has a shank. The snake is a. The, the snake only has a shank. The snake doesn't have a. Doesn't have a doesn't have a regal doesn't have a carrot. He only fights with his mouth, which we're going to see is very significant to the story also. Okay, so let's start. Going, now that we've seen a bit of the background 
to understanding what the mission of Shimshon was, so now we understand what he was trying to do. So the simple chat we already went through, and that it was it looked like it was his personal family issue with the fishly family that he had married into. It didn't look like anything to do with Kaisra. But at the same time, he was taking revenge on what the Christian did for Kaisra. We learned in the previous parak that there were two different things that we saw the way that the Goyim at the time of Pishti, whether it was Midian uh, or, or the, the other nations oppressed Kaisral. The one thing is they came and took all their things. Like we saw they despoiled Kaisral. And not only that, they stole their food. We saw previously that, uh, especially in time of Gidon even, that one of the ways that the surrounding nations, when they wanted to invade Kaisral, is they depleted all their stocks. They had nothing to eat. So we saw that they were hiding food in caves and crevices because the grain came and stole their food. Now for these two, these two things, Shemshah wanted to take revenge on behalf of Israel. The first one was when he went and he killed the 30 Pishtim to take their clothing. That was meant to be revenge for what the Pishtim took the clothing or took the items of Israel. The Pishtim didn't see it like that, obviously. They thought, they thought that this was as a, because he had, made a, he had made a bet with, the, with his friends at the wedding but who would find the answer to the riddle? So this was his way of making sure to pay back his bet. Now, why was that an acceptable thing to do? We asked the question before already. And that is, why was it something acceptable, so, so to speak? Because he so to speak, now had to pay uh, 30 people each a change of clothing because they had found the answer to the riddle, so he could just go kill 30 people to do it. So, for this, we have to look a little bit into understanding Christian society. Because remember, Shimshon, wanted to, if he's working from within the ranks of the Christian, we have to see how the Christian society works. And we're going to see along the, within the story of Shemshin itself a little bit about how Christian society operated. For example, what we already saw is when the 30 friends couldn't find the answer, so they went to Shemshin's wife and they said, you better find us the answer. Or if not, we're going to burn you and your house down in fire. Now, why was that a fair thing to expect from Shemshin's wife? It wasn't her riddle. It wasn't her fault. But nevertheless, there was a certain... Uh, Understanding in the in the world of the Pishti that it was a it was a violent society, and if you needed something, so then it was a justifiable way to so to speak to get what you wanted, but to threaten violence. She was she accepted that she didn't complain. She she begged Shimshon to give her the answer. She didn't want to get burned down in fire. We see it wasn't an empty threat. Later on, when the Pishti did get upset with her and her family, they did burn them down in fire. So that, so the fact that when somebody who so to speak could take the law into their own hands. In the Pishti world, wasn't something which was impossible. Therefore, if Shimshon made a point of saying that he had been wronged in the way that the the answer had been taken from him, so at least in the world, in the eyes of the Pishti, it was somewhat justified, so not to have to pay his own money, but to go and take from somebody else. He didn't feel he had, he had fairly lost the bet because they had taken the answer, best extorted it from him, so to speak. Which is why we see the Pishti don't react to that. They don't do anything to Shimshon or don't try to do anything after he kills 30 of Pishtim to take their clothing. Like we said, but besides for what Shimshon was making it look like to the Pishtim, it was really an Akama for Klai Yisrael for the, all the times the Pishtim had despoiled the Jews. Now the second point was, when, the, when Shimshon and then leaves, and uh, his, the, the father of the girl from Timna gives it to somebody else. So Shimshon comes back, and he says, I'm going to take revenge. You gave my wife away to somebody else, like we saw in the Passover. Now, what, was the, what did he choose to do? So he took two foxes, like we saw. He tied their tails together, and he put a torch in between them. He let them loose in the fields. And as a result, they burnt all the fields down. 
And he asked the question, if you want to just cause destruction and mayhem like that, you don't need two foxes. One fox could do just as good a job. The foxes ran away from fire. So even if you had one fox, if you tie its tail in a knot and you put a torch inside, it's going to run and it's going to spread the fire everywhere. Why is it, what was the idea of two? So the Vashem explained over here that Shimshon wasn't just stump causing damage, he was, he was making a point very clear. And that is that uh, he was trying to symbolize that the two foxes were him and his wife, and now the fleshly father in law had put a, something in between them to separate them. And that was uh, the, the, the fire, which was obviously both foxes ran away from the fire. So now that uh, he had given it to somebody else, now that it separated them, and that was the that was the complaint Shimshon had, so to speak. Uh, so again, if, if that was meant to be the the, the message he was meant to tell the Pishti, that was it. It's his personal issue with uh, the Pishti family that he had married into, which is what they did see it as, which is why they went and then burned down the whole family. But uh, what Shimshon was doing bad, him was in a coma for all the times that the Prishtim took the produce of Kali Yisra. Like we said, the besides the taking their possessions, they used to come and steal their food. And therefore the Nakama for that, the revenge for that, was to burn down all their food. Which is what he did. It says he burned down the, the Meakama the, from the, to the wheat until the eight zais, the trees, everything. That was the, the revenge of the Prishtim for that one. Yeah. Now once again, in Prishtim society, that's acceptable. You feel you're wronged, you can go and be violent. And that's what he did. So now, again, the Christian didn't have a problem with Shimshon. They had a problem with the wife's family. Like, it was her, their fault. Shimshon Ki'ilu in some way was justified by what he did. And therefore they went and took out, took revenge on Shimshon's wife's family. But now, in as far as Christian logic goes, now we've settled the score. You had a fair claim. Right? You, you, you demonstrated, you, were, you rioted violently. We understood that. We took revenge for you. So now we've said, now everything's good. But now what Shimshon says, I'm going to take revenge for you for killing my wife, that doesn't fit into the playbook of the Prishtim. That doesn't work. We, you've already, Kira, we've taken revenge because she wronged you, so why are you now taking revenge on her behalf? Which is why now when Shimshon now goes and kills the Prishtim for killing his wife, that doesn't make sense to them. That doesn't work with the way the Prishtim the operates. Which is why now they go and decide Shimshon's a danger, and they, now they go and send a force to go and attack Shimshon. What does Shimshon do? It's Bashit. He was taking revenge the times they killed Klai Yisra. It, uh, it was a stage by stage. It started with their clothing, then their food, then their pe- then the people themselves. It was like a stage by stage progression of Nakama. Now, that was the that was the first. Those were the three, uh, so to speak, acts that Shimshon had planned. When they, the Christian now came to, by in force to try and capture him. So now Shimshon has to defend himself. Now, the way it happened was we saw with the Lechia Hamar, with the jawbone of the donkey. And what we saw, it's a very, uh, obviously there's a meaning in that. Why would, uh, out of any tool, if he had to use something to defend himself, why duck with the jawbone of a donkey? It's not a natural weapon, if one wants to call it that. Even a, a, a thigh bone of a donkey would be more useful as a, as a club of some sort than a jawbone. It's not such a big thing. And Bichlal, Shishma was so strong, why do you need a weapon at all? Because he just used his hands. But he could terrify lions with his hands. It wasn't like he needed weapons. But whatever the case is, that's what Hashem gave and that's what he used. What was it coming to signify? What was it coming to signify? So here's where Shimshon is given a tool and he makes a mistake with it. And that is that uh, he, when he uses the Lech Yachamor, he uses the strawberry of a donkey to kill a thousand Pishtim. So then Shimshon says about himself. He says, With the jaw of the donkey, 
and piled up the bodies of the Plishtim. With the jawbone of the donkey, I killed a thousand people. And obviously, if, as a result that he gets punished, it means Hashem objected to what he had said. There was something wrong with that statement. Why? But he knew he was given water afterwards. First, he, he, he nearly died from thirst. Why? What was, the, what, what was wrong with what he said? Okay, so now you go back to the principle. A principle which is something that is, is going to be a specific Nisayan for Shimshon. Let's remind ourselves. Let's remind ourselves from the beginning already. When we when Yaakov and Esau. How do we know that when Shimshon was We go right to the beginning of Yaakov as Kaisra and Esau. So we know Yitzhak already defined the role of each one. The role of Yaakov is a call called Yaakov. The role of Esau is a Yedai the Esau. Kaisra's Koyach is Zupeh. Esau's Koyach is Yedai. As strong as Shimshon was. And he was the giver of Yisrael. He was the person who was given tremendous strength. But Shimshon has to remember something always. And that is that Shimshon's strength isn't physical strength in the sense of Yedai Midei Esau. Shimshon's strength is coming as a result of, firstly, the, the, the bracha that Hashem gave him as a Nazi, that he had this tremendous strength. And we're going to see also the Koyach of Yisrael. And the Koyach of Yisrael. That, that's where his strength came from. And therefore, not because he was... Uh, it wasn't using the strength of Esau. It wasn't using physical strength. It manifested itself physically in the fact in the fact that he was able to conquer enemies. He was able to do feats of, of, of strength, of vir. But the koyach didn't come from there. It came from it came from his koyach either Ruchni says a nazir or it came from his koyach atvira. And that was a mistake over here. When Shimshon goes to fight a thousand people, which is the ma- why that go a thousand people? So I'll tell you. Uh, that's the maximum. When the Torah in the Bracha talks about uh, the maximum that one person can take on, it says that one of you will take on a thousand. The, if five of you will take on ten thousand, that's impossible. Right? So then one, the fact that one person can take on a thousand, that's the maximum amount that HaKadosh Baruch Hu, so to speak, will give uh, one person to victorious over. In fact, there's even a Gemara that says that when David Amalek went to battle, he managed to take on 800 people. It's a puzzle in Shmuel base. And he was with Steyr, why only 800? What happened to the last 200? And Hashem told him, don't forget that uh, you did things wrong also, the massive Uriachiti and Bechev and whatever it was, only 800 people. But the maximum possible is 1,000. If 5 take on 10,000, then it's just 2,000. Because they're 5 together. It sounds like that. The Kerecher is multiplied. Right. But uh, so therefore, the fact that Shimshon managed to kill a thousand people means that's the maximum Gevura Hashem can give a person that he can take on a thousand. Um, now, if that's the case, what does Shimshon attribute that Gevura to? <coughs> what does what is he attribute the Gevura to? So if he's going to, so the, there was something wrong, which Hashem found wrong, and what Shimshon said, that Ke'irut was Makoyach, I was able to kill a thousand people which seemed to imply too much that it's the koyach of the day Esau, that is the action, that he, what he could do. And that's why what Hashem punishes him with is something which action can't help. He gets tremendously thirsty, and uh, he feels he's going to die of thirst. And then uh, a mice is not going to help that. Um, and this is uh, it's very accurate. Chazal say on that, 
that he had, he didn't even, even had there been water in front of him, he wouldn't have had the courage to pick it up. And uh, what Chazal mean by that is that uh, Hashem took away the koyach of the Maisa from him. And I was to show that it's not your, your, the fact that you are victorious wasn't the koyach Maisa. Uh, and the thirst is that someone just felt in the mouth. That's uh, we, and he understood the sign to be that what you, the, there was a chisarian understanding this comes from the koyach of, his, of the mouth, not from the koyach of the Maisa. And that's why the when he davens, so the Nakadosh Baruch answers him from the jawbone of the donkey. Now the idea of the jawbone of the donkey is significant because you know the idea of the donkey. The when Yaakov's brachos to the Shvatim, so he gave Shimshon Dan the bracha of the snake. He gave Yisachar the bracha of a donkey. The donkey of Yisachar was one Yisachar the shaykh is always learning Torah. And if that's the case, the mouth of the donkey is Ke'ilu, the, the, the mouth which doesn't stop learning Torah. That was the significance. And that was the, the tool that Hashem gave him to fight with. And he was meant to understand it's, it's Bukayach, the pair that you're fighting, not Bukayach that you're stronger. And when Shimshon didn't understand that lesson, and he attributed to his strength that he could kill a thousand people, so the Kaddish Baruch Hashem the same lesson in a different way. He gets thirsty to the extent that he feels he's going to die. And where does the Yeshua come from? Like we said, we asked the question last time. Baruch could have sent a nest in any a number of ways. It could have rained. Someone could have given him water. But to do a nest, the water should come out the drawbone of a donkey. That's a very unusual way to send a nest. Ella what is coming to teach a lesson. And that is it's the same lesson. That uh, what, what he saw previously as a tool of the Yedai Esav, uh, a tool of the Yedai, which you could use as a weapon, it was really coming to tell the opposite. The, the, the symbolism of the Lech, the Chamar, or something which was meant to use his mouth for. And therefore, when he got thirsty, then where did he get the water from? From the same Lech Yechamor. And that's why he calls a place, which he originally called Ramas Lechi. He now calls it Eina Kore. The place, the spring which came because of the person who called out, who davened. Because he understood that the Kayach of the the koyach that he had had wasn't really from the, the strength that he, he could use the draw, drawbone for, but it was the ena koyach. It was the place where he could daven from. And that was uh, what gave him the strength. Now we go back to what we said before. There was an, the significance we said, our oh, Shimshon, he was, had to understand he was like a snake. We said originally was he fought as a yachid. Snakes fight as individuals that aren't part of a pack or a pride or a herd, and we said already before. It's the second point also. Snakes fight with their mouths. As opposed to other animals, which are terif, which use their horns, or their claws, or their hooves, whatever it's going to be to fight with, the snake doesn't have those things. He only has his mouth. Now, normally, that's used negatively. And as we talk about the snake as being something negative, not positive, it's uh, destructive with its mouth. Which is why the snake is always compared to Lashon Hara, because uh, that's also a koyach of destruction which uses a person's mouth. That's the negative side of the snake. If Shemshin was meant to be like a snake, so then what he was meant to learn, and, and that is... Your power is like a snake's power. And it's koicha bepeh. It's koicha bepeh. The power of the snake is also in its mouth. It's destructive. It can kill with its mouth. It's got poison in its mouth. But it's power in its mouth. And what you have to understand from that is that the way you're going to be victorious is through the koicha of your mouth, not the koicha of your actions. It wasn't compared to an animal which has strong uh, claws or strong talons or whatever it's going to be. Because that wasn't the way Shimshin's koicha was meant to manifest itself. On the contrary, Shemshin's koyach was meant to manifest itself through the tefillah that he davened, that's how he's going to get answered. And we're going to see this throughout, especially from now on, 
we're going to see that uh, Shimshon's Twitter is what gives him the Koyach to do what he wants to do. We, we, we haven't got there yet, we know the famous mice at the end of Shimshon's life. We have special Twitter to be given. Give me back my strength one more time. And the Koyach is Twitter, he got it back. And that was the that was Shimshon's Koyach the whole way. So we we look at Shimshon, we think of him as a you know, as a heavyweight bodybuilder. That wasn't where Shimshon's Koyach came from. He wasn't it wasn't strength in the physical strength of the day Esau. Shimshon's strength came from two places. The first one is the Rafa Kodesh, like we saw previously, and that was the source of being a Nazir, and that lasted him as long as he was a Nazir. Besides for that, the Koyachat Vila, the Koyachat Vila, which was the Koyachat Vipir that uh, Yaakov Avinu gave him, that uh, Yaakov's Koyach was a Kol Kol Yaakov, and he gave it to Shimshon too. That's the last possible case After describing him as being a snake, which we said is an animal who also attacks with its mouth, the Shosra Kivisi Hashem. He says, Hashem, I wait for your salvation. Now, I know Rashi brings Chazal that said, when he saw Shimshon's downfall, so he realized Shimshon isn't going to be the Goyal, and uh, it'll be somebody else. But remember, that's how we, Chazal, understood the Pesukim after Shimshon failed, so to speak, and died. How did Shimshon read the possible? Shimshon didn't read the Pasuk that he's going to fail, and therefore Hashem, Yaakov said there must be somebody after you. What did Shimshon read the Pasuk as? Shimshon read the Pasuk as, this is the instruction to him, that you have to hope for Hashem's Yeshua. And that is the same you said. If Shimshon had been so incredibly strong in a physical sense, so then he doesn't need to hope for anything. He has more strength. He can overpower anybody. But it wasn't that. Shimshon, it was, this was the instruction to Shimshon, the way he understood the Pasuk, was the instruction to him. And that is, you're going to be strong, and you're going to be able to be victorious, but it has to be totally on the Hashem. And the fact that you're relying on Hashem to send you the salvation. And that's the, that was the, what he needed the whole way through. The fact that he would dive into HaKadosh Baruch Hu, which would give him his strength, when he slept with that here, and he attributed it to his, his, his strength, straight away he got punished for it, and that's what he, he, the lesson he learned. Because that's just back on what we saw last time, just to fill in a bit of the... The background to explain the story. Okay. So that's uh, now. The Pasuk says, We're holding in the last Pasuk of Perak as well. That Shimshon was a Shoifet for Yisrael during the time of the Pishtim for 20 years, which means it was still a time when the Pishtim were ruling Kla Yisrael. And Shimshon had scored a number of victories. He hadn't destroyed the Pishtim. They were still there and they were still in control. But uh, uh, nevertheless, after that incident, Kinira the Pishnah decided that it's not worth trying to attack him anymore, they left him alone. And he, he acted as a shepherd for Kla'i Yisra. Now, is the continuation of this Pasuk Vayish this Israel because he learned the lesson about going back to learn and daven? Maybe. But what's interesting is that Kla'i accepted him as a shepherd. And as they obviously realized also that he had Ruch HaKodesh. And therefore, even though we saw previously that never, what he, by going to marry a fish, he wasn't something which Kaishal would necessarily accept. But when they saw afterwards that it just brought a ways of, of taking revenge on the fish, and Hashem was clearly with him, so Kaishal accepted him as a shofet, and for 20 years he was a shofet. It was constant? It was until this, this 20 years was until the end of Shemesh's life, which means... Uh, <coughs> the, it's in, with, with the Pasuk says is overlapping what's going to happen in the next two Prakim it wasn't that so after this the next incident happened what happened next was within still the context of these 20 years that he was a Shafet 
Shemshin's tenure as a sheikh had ended when he died. That was that was all during the period of the Pishtim, which means, and that was uh, what the, the Malach told Shemshin's parents right at the beginning. Shemshin was never going to succeed in destroying the Pishtim. He's going to start. He's going to start it with the Pishtim. He's going to uh, give him a number of serious losses. He's going to be able to, the first one to be able to stand up to them. But he's not going to finish the job. Um, and that was also in the rumors in Yaakov's Nebuah. When he says, Don Yadin Yisrael. Now, we know that Achad Shifta Yisrael, just like Achad Da'an, means the king. The, the, the first of the nation, it's like in any, in any, in any language you understand. The first uh, person in any society we call the king. It's the top of the, the, the pyramid of that society. So, just like when Ben Melech talks to himself, he says, Achasa'am, the first of the people, means himself. And when Yaakov says, Don Yadin Yisrael, he means like the king of Klai Yisrael. Which means that uh, Shimshon would wage war against the Pishtim like the king of Klai Yisrael would, except he would just start. It's only, uh, Shimshon wasn't a king. He was, a, he was an individual who was a great person, but he wasn't the king of Klai Yisrael. It was waited until Klaishla had a king to eventually destroy the Pishtim, it was David Amalekh. Later on, completed the job that Shimshin began. Uh, which is why we find a number of connections between Shevet Don and Shevet Yehuda. It's interesting. They're the only two Shvatim which are compared to lines. Yehuda is compared to a line by Yaakov Avinu, Gurari Yehuda, and uh, Don is compared to a line by Moshe Rabbeinu. Don Gurari is Anak Minabashim. Uh, there's a comparison between them. What it's interesting. We normally talk about Yehuda as the shavit of the kings, and Don as, so to speak, the the, the last of the shvatim, especially in the, in the way that they marched and and when Klaishal encamped in the midbar, it was like that. But here we see it's the other way around. Don began the process. That was Shimshon. He was the first one to to start the campaign against the Pishtim, and it was only later on completed by David Amel. He was from both tribes. Right. That's also true. We saw also here that Shimshin's mother was from Shevet Yehuda. So there was also that connection here also. And when you get to Davra Melech, we have to explain what Kayach he had to complete, so to speak, the, the job that Shimshin started. But didn't Shimshin's job end up performing? Didn't the Pleshtim 